people, when they're in the room today, this afternoon, they won't be trying to rank one through 30. They will be looking at smaller groups to allow a deeper dive. That's Rob Mullins, the University of Oregon Athletic Director and former chair of the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. He talked all about what it's like in the inner sanctum of the CFP Selection Committee. That and a whole bunch more on an all-new episode of Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kanzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. Got a special edition of Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast, with a special guest, Rob Mullins, the University of Oregon Athletic Director, former chair of the College Football Playoff Selection Committee, a guy who could really take us behind the scenes. Before we get into any of that, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Pacific Seafood, has come aboard as the sponsor, the official sponsor of Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast. If you are looking for high-quality Food. If you're looking for the highest quality, freshest, sustainable seafood direct from the dock to your doorstep, go to PacificSeafood.com and check out what Pacific Seafood can do for you. They've got you covered. Uh, and here's a here's a special. If you use the promo code Kanzano and Wilner at checkout, you'll get 12% off your online purchase. So go to PacificSeafood.com and use the promo code Kanzano and Wilner. We've used Pacific Seafood in our own home fantastic high quality Uh, they've made it their mission to feed the world the healthiest protein on the planet pacificseafood.com and use the promo code Kanzano and Wilner I'm John Kanzano thanks for listening to this podcast you can read me exclusively at johnkanzano.com get a free subscription get a paid subscription whatever works for you works for me I'm with John Wilner Bay Area News Group you can find him at pac12hotline.com Wilner, Rob Mullins as a guest. Like, you know, and I have been talking about this for a couple of weeks. The uh, playoff rankings are coming out or may already be out, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. But, Wilner, why is Rob Mullins the ideal guest right now? I don't know of anybody who's got more insight into the into the playoff itself, right? He was on the committee uh, for a couple of years. He was chair for a couple of years. He knows all the ins and outs of how they go about doing their business. Uh and look, frankly, it's this is the best Pac-12 season in what ten years. There's going to be multiple teams here uh, in the committee rankings for the rest of the season, uh, multiple contenders for the playoff spots. And you know, I don't know of anybody who is can provide more insight into what's going to happen, un- what's going to unfold, not only for Pac-12 fans but everybody, because he's taken us behind the scenes. Uh, to how the committee goes about doing its business. And he's just, you know, he's one of the most respected ADs, I mean, certainly in the Pac-12, but uh, nationally uh, oversaw, he's overseen Oregon's, you know, rise to prominence uh, on the football field and and all just a broad-based excellence for, for all their sports. He's the perfect guest right now for early November, and for the stretch run of a college football season that for the Pac-12 is going to be like nothing we've seen in a long time. And, you know, and he's the right guest, too, because he's coming off a victory, his football program coming off a victory at Utah in Salt Lake City, one of the toughest places to play. And, uh, you know, week to week, we have found in the Pac-12 this football season, it's dicey stuff, but Oregon looked really good 
really complete. And uh, Rob Mullins joining us now. Rob, I got to ask you, what what was that like to be in Salt Lake City and see your football team play that way? Well, great to be with you guys. Uh, it was a great win. I mean, when you have wins like that, to see all the hard work that the student athletes, the coaches, and the staff put into it, um, and to watch the fans celebrate, and uh, you know, obviously what Coach Winningham. Uh, and his staff have done in Utah, I mean, back-to-back 12 champs, to be able to go on the road in one of the toughest places in all of college football uh, and put together a complete performance is a, is a lot of fun. You were there for Justin Herbert era and uh, the Marcus Mariota era, and I am not asking you to compare Bo Nix to those guys uh, you know, from a scouting standpoint, NFL draft standpoint, any of that, but do you see any connective tissue in the way they go about their business and the way they handle themselves with their teammates? 100%. Uh, great question, John. Uh, you know, all three are tremendous leaders. Um, all three uh, lead by example. Uh, you know, they put in the work. Uh, they do all the little things that add up to success. Um, and all three just have a commanding presence, right? Um you know, their experience, uh, particularly, you know, when you look at Bo uh, and the number of games he's played, uh, the command that he has, the rapport, the ability to communicate uh, to teammates, uh, is that, that is the connective tissue, and that's why all three have been extremely successful. The Dan Lanning era is, you know, off to a good start. Last uh, few months ago, you decided to extend him. What went into the thinking of the strategy of extending Lanning's contract? Well, obviously, when we identified Dan, uh, you know, as the next head coach at the University of Oregon, um, you know, we we knew the DNA. um, But what we quickly learned when he got here um, is he's wise uh, beyond his years um, in the way that he approached modern college athletics, modern college football. Um, You know, he's kind of been a student of the game in every way possible up to and including, you know, how does the transfer portal work? How does name image likeness work? Um, but the biggest piece for us that started day one when he arrived here in Eugene is his understanding of connection, his understanding of how to build a culture and an environment for everybody to be successful. Um, obviously, the X's and O's are there. Um, but the piece that, you know, that became evident on what was going to be kind of that extra 1% or all the things that he does to connect the student athletes, to connect the staff, um, to give you that, you know, that extra advantage, uh, that separator, if you will. Um, and, you know, when it, whether it's his get real sessions, um, or the way that he handles any type of issue, uh, the communication is next level. And so for us, uh, you know, we saw the foundation that was being built. We've seen the leadership. We know the person. Um, and we think there's an opportunity long term to, to really take this place somewhere special. Rob, I'm fascinated by the broader piece to that of how schools are handling coaching contracts, you know, because it seems like the marketplace obviously is pushing salaries up. Uh, it doesn't. It feels like agents have more leverage than ever. How do you view that whole dynamic between school, you know, as you are, are the representative of Oregon in the negotiations with Dan uh, or any other coach? How do you view the dynamic, the shifting dynamic of school for agent 
coach and marketplace. Yeah, no, you're 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 exactly right. It is difficult, uh, no doubt. Um, and whether you agree or don't agree uh, with the structure, you have to understand that you know it is a marketplace, um, and you know, a lot of this is marketplace driven. So you know when you're doing an assessment um, on where. You know, if you're in that market is, you know, where do we fit in the marketplace? What works at our institution? Um, and it varies institution to institution. Again, whether you agree or disagree with the market, you have to determine who you want to be, where you want to be, and how do you make that fit with who you are? Uh, so, you know, you have to look at yourself first, uh, then, then, you know, evaluate the landscape and say, where do we fit? How do we fit? Um, and then go about trying to find, you know, the right leader um, and then do a contract that's representative of, you know, where you fit in the marketplace. How much of getting landing locked in long term had to do with, you know, you'd just been through Mario Cristobal, Willie Taggart, Mark Helfrich, and, uh, you know, Justin Herbert, I think, had three different head coaches in, in, in trying to get things settled down. How much was that important to you and maybe just the continuity uh, of the program, yeah, continuity is one piece. Obviously, you know we had a series of succession plans from Brooks to Bellotti to Chip to Helfrich, and you know that served the program well for a long, long time. Um, but yes, and then we had, uh, and you know, each of those coaches had their own set of successes. Um, but there is some advantage to continuity. That was just one one piece of it. Uh, again, I'll reiterate the things that I said earlier. You know, the real key pieces were, you know, his approach, his work ethic, his leadership, you know, the match of the values. You know, when all those things align, um, and again, we have the benefit of seeing what happens around here every day uh, and the leadership and the culture and the approach. Um, but continuity was one piece of it for sure. Rob, how much time are you spending or your staff spending on, on Big Ten transition stuff these days? Uh, we are spending some time on it. I, I don't know that I could put – I mean, obviously our focus is finishing as strong members of the Pac-12. Um, we're in that crazy part of our year where you have the fall sports winding down, the winter sports cranking up. Um, so that's kind of our focus now. You know, we have a top – seven volleyball team uh we're heading into cross-country postseason so that's taken a lot uh in addition to football but we are uh working mostly on you know what you know what's scheduling going to look like how are we going to uh make sure that we have minimal impact on our student athletes uh, on the 10 sports that will play a big 10 regular schedule so um yeah we're spending some time on it but we're spending more time on making sure that we finish strong in the pac-12 yeah, it's a tough dynamic, right? Because you you got to make sure your student athletes have the best possible experience this year, but also you got to ha- make sure that your student athletes have the best possible experience next year. Exactly right. I mean, that's our number one priority, right, is the student athlete experience. But you know, obviously, it's a shorter runway than usual um, when you're transitioning um, uh, to a new league. So, uh, absolutely, we're we're trying to play catch up on that front in, in a few ways. You know, your fans keep asking me about TV times in the Big Ten and, you know, how often you might play at night or on a Friday. Um, I don't think they brought you into that conference to put you uh, playing at dark all the time. But what what sense do you have of what that balance will be? 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly. Uh, I mean, I do know when you look at the TV deals, um, you know, they do have some Friday night games. Uh, you know, we'll play it Friday. We'll play Friday this year against Oregon State. Uh, so there will be, uh, some occasional Friday games, but I do know this. When you look at, they're going to have games on Fox, CBS, uh, and NBC. Um, you know, that really opens up an incredible lineup on Saturdays across the whole country on network TV. So I don't know exactly, John, although I do know uh, that the majority of the windows are outstanding windows with an incredible reach. Rob, we could probably spend three hours here talking to you about about this stuff, but one of the key things I think is on fans' minds right now is the Pac-12 and the playoff situation coming up, right? And this is the first week of the rankings for this season and you were the selection committee chair. You served on the committee for, what, four years total, I think. Uh, I, I can't think of anybody who has more insight into the process. And, and that's, to me, that is, is something I really wanted to, to get into you with here. Uh, and without getting into the specific rankings that are coming out this week, is there anything you could tell folks based on your experience that they don't know or maybe they don't realize is going on in the room on a weekly basis uh, with the committee members that that will help people. It'll help people navigate this next month because for the Pac-12, right, this is going to be a month like fans haven't had in a long time where multiple teams are going to be very relevant in the committee's discussions. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, there's several things, uh, and I love talking about this, too, because I think it's been uh, so well done. Uh, and I think that's the first point, right? Uh, you know, when, when the CFP was created and the playoff was created, there was a lot of thought that went into the protocols um, and into the process. So, you know, and again, when you meet as a committee, you're reminded of that every single meeting that you attend. Um, so, there, you know, there is a set of guidelines, if you will, uh, that are very, very helpful. Uh, the other thing that's really, uh, you know, somewhat unique, uh, but also helpful is you've got 13 independent people in there, and it ranges from sitting ADs to former players to former coaches to former media members. So you get a real diverse set uh, of opinions, and that's really great for the dialogue, you know, so that you get a lot of conversation and debate. Uh, the committee gives you every tool to come in there fully prepared. And as a committee member, you better be fully prepared because everyone commits a significant amount of time and energy and preparation uh, before the meeting starts because they understand the importance of one ranking spot, the importance of college football to all of college athletics. Now, once you're in the room, I think the thing, if anybody, you know, has been through one of the mock selection process, I think the thing, you know, there's great technology, there's great data, but, you know, when you're in the room, they break it down to scale to allow deeper debate on a smaller group of teams. So, for example, when they're in the room today, this afternoon, they won't be trying to rank one through 30. They will be looking at smaller groups to allow a deeper dive. So they'll, you know, I'll just give you an example of the way the process works. On the first round to rank the top three teams, one, two, and three, you know, all the committee members will put in, you know, their rankings, one through whatever they decide today. But they will break down a group of six schools that got the most votes 
to spend a considerable amount of time comparing and contrasting those six schools to then rank one, two, and three. Then the three teams that are left that didn't get one, two, and three will stay in the pool. They'll add three more teams to have six teams to debate for rankings four, five, and six. And that'll go on all the way through the top 25. So I don't know. uh, I, I think it's helpful to understand that when you take that deep dive, you are doing it in a smaller scale and the data and schedule and results are all on a board for everybody to discuss and debate. And all 13 members are having that conversation. So uh, I think that's probably the piece that, you know, the public may not fully understand of how the scale is broken down to make sure that you take a deep dive. We hear all the time about the eye test. Do they pass the eye test? All <laughs> but then when you look at the criteria, you really start looking at conference championships, quality wins, uh, top 25 wins, um, you know, and then also you have, what, 50 hours of games that the, the committee is charged with kind of paying attention to. Can you help us understand sort of the stress involved in trying to gather all of that? You say tools that are available. Can you dive into that a little bit more and what you had at your fingertips while you were on the committee or as the chair? Right. So great question, because I think that's an important piece, too. Uh, one is so you have access to a you know, sports analytics database and you, the committee member, can decide you know, what data points are important to you. So I had a specific set that I would get you know, kind of uh, downloaded, uh, sorted uh, and able to review um, and you don't, you know, you have, it has to be manageable, right? You also get an understanding uh, from the data analytics company which statistics correlate to the highest level of success. But again, it's up to you, each committee member, to use the data that you want. Um, so that's what I'm talking about when you have resources. The other resource that you have, you know, they have a way to record games in multiple formats. So if you want a TV copy, or if you're a coach and you want the all 22, you can do that. And they cut out the commercials. Sorry, advertisers. But it enables you to just click play to play to play to play. So there's an efficient way to watch games. There is considerable stress in just, you know, just from a time management standpoint to get all this done before you start meeting on Monday afternoon. Um, but they do give you the tools to try to be efficient about it so that you can watch it. The first week is tougher, obviously because the pool is bigger for teams that could be in that top 25. Uh, And obviously, as we play more games, it starts to narrow, so you don't have to watch quite as many games. Um, But, yeah, the the, the way they set up the structure, in fact, I miss being able to watch all those games in the format that they provide. Um, But, you know, you have whatever data you want at your fingertips, uh, and they put the games in a format that, that, that allow you to do it as efficiently as possible. Could could you share an example of at least for you, maybe not the full committee uh, over your your tenure of like a really difficult situation you you had to grapple with, but maybe between a couple of teams. Sure, I, I mean when I was, I think it was my first year as chair, and I may get some of this wrong, but I do remember you know kind of the the, the grappling. We we came down to the end, and there were three teams for the fourth spot. It was Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Georgia. Um, and it was we went long, long into the night on that last ranking, uh, long into the night. 
on those three teams, and we just kept working and working and working. We went till two or three in the morning on Saturday, got back up. We took a few hours sleep, came back in uh, on Sunday, knowing that we had a deadline to win the, the the bracket had to be announced uh, and debated it again uh, in the morning. And if you remember, that was a year that Oklahoma had a really, really strong offense, um, but we're giving up quite a few points. Um, and then it's just, it, it, you know, there were, there was a lot of data points that supported each team. Uh, in the end, I think Oklahoma ended up getting the fourth spot. Um, but that was as intense, maybe even contentious, uh, a debate that I remember in my four years. Is there any advice you could offer as to whether, you know, what matters more or less, uh, you know, bad losses, good wins, <laughs> good wins, good losses, or is that something that, you know, it's just up to each committee member what piece to evaluate because the fact that there's never been a two loss team in the playoff to me is pretty significant. Uh, Any insight into kind of how to prioritize as fans are looking at the results these next few weeks? Yeah, this is where it gets tough, right? You guys are, you guys are, uh, you guys are asking the tough questions because this is, this is where all the debate happens, right? And this is what's tough if you're not in the room to fully understand it. So the answer is all the above, I know, which is a really difficult answer for people to hear and understand. But that is the beauty of the process of having 13 independent members with, uh, a, again, a diverse set of a committee. It, it allows you to have that d- debate. Um, so it's probably all the above, you know, uh, good wins, you know, good losses, bad losses, um, you know, sequencing when they happen, where they happen, road, home. So all that stuff gets analyzed. And there will be times in there, you know, kind of even later in the process where you have to go back to a game and you might even pull up the stats from that game to really review. And you might even watch it again to determine, you know, exactly what happened, how play, who was injured, what happened in the game. You know, was it, a, was it a Thursday night road game? You know, so all those things get discussed. Um, but I, there's not a scale to put on what goes where. It's up to each individual committee member. What, can, what I can assure you is that it all gets discussed um, over and over and over again. So, um, you know, again, every detail is put on the table and analyzed. The beginning of this year, uh, Pac-12 fans are looking across – the country and going, hey, we're finally getting respect here. Everyone's saying what a great conference this is. This is great for the teams. You saw it in the in the AP poll with six teams ranked. Um, you know, what do you expect when the rankings come out? And and how does the perception of the conference factor early, maybe earlier versus later in the season when you get a larger sample size? Well, I, I mean, obviously, um, you know, I, I don't know what to expect because I haven't scrub the data. I will say this, you know, obviously there's been a lot more uh, positive press about the Pac-12 early in the year. There's also been, the viewership is considerably higher. I mean, obviously the Colorado games are drawing a number of viewers. Um, Oregon Ducks have been on a number of games that have been, you know, 3 million plus. Uh, So, you know, that viewership does matter. Fortunately, the committee is able to see, you know, games that are even played into the into the wee hours of the morning. Um, so they're seeing them all. 
But, uh, you know, I, I do think the fact that you we have so many great quarterbacks in this league um, and the depth, the depth has always been there. But I think what's different this year is the depth at the top. You know, it's it's always been difficult to go to Utah and play. It's always been difficult to go to Seattle and play. Even those trips to Arizona are difficult places to play. Um, but now I think the thing that's different this year is when you have experienced quarterbacks. Because, again, if you look across the CFP era, you know, an experienced quarterback is a big advantage. So when you have experience at quarterback and you have the depth at the top, um, that that's what's different this year. All right, we all know that scheduling is done years out, but you were on that committee and the chair of that committee. How did that experience affect how you got how you scheduled maybe in this season and, and right around this time that we're watching now? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that does make it challenging is it is it is difficult because it's scheduled so far out. It would be you could have a lot more influence on your team's strength of schedule if you could schedule in shorter increments. You know, we probably did the Texas Tech game. I don't know, seven, eight years ago. Um, and a trip to Lubbock is a really difficult test. And it was even I mean, difficult for us this year because they were, you know, they had their starting quarterback and they were healthy. But, you know, somebody's going to have to make that point in the room because, you know, they've played their last few weeks without, a, without their starting quarterback, which impacts everybody. But the goal is, you know, depending on where you think your league is going to be uh, from a strength standpoint is, you know, what can we do? to make sure that our resume stacks up if we end up in that top 10 conversation, you know, what's going to allow us to move up in those rankings. Um, the thing that's always been difficult, John, that you and I have talked about several times is on the West coast, you don't have as many options, um, you know, in some of those non-conference games. So that's why you've seen us, you know, try to do an FCS game. Um, and then we've had to do some two for ones with strong mountain West programs as well. Uh, so we're just trying to find that balance um, to make sure uh, that we have those quality opportunities. Rob, what is your best guess as to how the expanded playoff – now, whether it is, you know, six six uh, conference champs and six at large or five conference champs, seven at large, you know, once we get into the, the realignment, what do you think the expanded playoff is going to do to – the philosophy of non-conference scheduling? Well, I mean, I think in general, the CFP, even in the 14 format, had a huge impact on college football because, interestingly enough, it's, it, it, it's, it's part of the conversation in week one, maybe even week zero. You know, everybody's talking playoff. Uh, so now when you go from, you know, everybody competing for four spots to competing for 12 spots, it's going to expand the number of fan bases that are extremely interested. So instead of just the fan bases at Notre Dame and Ohio State emailing the committee chair when uh, the rankings put them fifth or sixth, as an example, maybe, uh, you'll, you'll have some, four, some, some additional fan bases uh, really engaging uh, in the process. So I think you'll broaden it. I do think you'll have to look at, you know, some of these leagues, uh, you know, have gotten a lot tougher. Uh, your league schedule is going to be really, really difficult and drive your strength of schedule way up. So, you know, as you look out, and again, we're scheduled pretty far out, you may have to adjust that some um, again. But, you know, with 12 slots available, uh, I do think that will change the formula somewhat. For us, as an example, we probably won't be looking to take – 
uh, long trips because, you know, as a part of our new league, uh, we're going to have some trips that, you know, take us to the central time zone and occasionally even to the eastern time zone. So we're probably going to look to stay more in the uh, Pacific time zone for non-conference games. So that helps if you've got to stay regional and there's so many, so few schools out here to play that that certainly gives leverage to FCS schools in terms of their asking price. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it certainly does. Uh, you know, uh, we're, we're fortunate, um, you know, in that, you know, we have, uh, some, some great FCS schools, uh, on the West coast. Uh, but we'll also, we're going to go into a strength of schedule, um, you know, in most years uh, in the Big Ten that's going to place us, you know, in that top tier. Yep. Uh, and so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of build around that. Have you talked with Oregon State about picking up Civil War series beyond, you know, you know, doing some creative things to try to get that series back on track? Or are you at least having discussions, or is that right now on the back burner? No, no, we're, 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 we are having discussions, and, you know, that, that is a priority for us. It, it's, you know... As we've shared, it's really difficult in the short term um, because of the way schedules are built. Um, but it is something that we're going to do everything we can to find a way uh, to get that back on. Chip Kelly came on with uh, Will and I in the last episode. Visionary guys talking about sleeping and his nightstand and why he doesn't, do, you know, have anything on his nightstand. And um, he, but he brought up the idea, and it's you know, it's been talked about that college football could splinter away one day. You're in those rooms with the other ADs. When when you guys sort through that, where does that discussion break down, or where does it become complicated? Well, I mean, obviously Chip is a, is a, 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 very, a very very bright man um, and always forward thinking, uh, and you know his his uh, idea has a lot of merit. But you just kind of have to find the path, right? Because we're you know there's all these different links of agreements. Um, and uh, so that's it, what's the path. I think is kind of where it breaks down, but it does make a lot of sense. Um, but you, you know, you got to find the path, um, and I think that's the hardest part right now. Um, but you know, continuing to dialogue, uh, continuing to explore alternatives, um, you know, is only helpful to everyone. Rob, I know we got to let you go here in a minute. So this is the last question from me. And again, appreciate your time. Do you, when either lying awake at night, taking, you know, going for a walk or a jog, what is the challenge to college football, specifically college athletics generally? What's keeping you up at night? Is it the economic? Is it NLRB? Is it NIL? Is it uh, the house case, you know, uh, class action deal that could be very, very costly? Is there something that you think really is the, the foremost challenge that, that listeners should kind of be keeping an eye out? Well, I, I mean, I think they're all huge challenges. Um, and, and the collection of them is something that's unforeseen in the history of college athletics. So whether it's litigation, governance, um, or the economic pressures, it, they all are huge. What I will say, what keeps me up, though, is – you know, is the impact again, I, you know, I, I have been able to see the positive outcomes uh, of what an athletic scholarship can do uh, for young people and for young people that aren't in the sports that are most visible. So I, and I also get to see 
the amount of resources that are poured into student-athlete success. When you look here at the University of Oregon, uh, a student-athlete, before their scholarship, receives somewhere in the neighborhood of $150,000 to $175,000 of support, whether that's free tutoring, mental health support, uh, med- you know, sports medicine, nutrition. The, the whole system that's put around them um, is, is intended to, to allow them to have success. What I get concerned about is a lot of this comes, these conversations just become about economics and those and, and the visible sports that are creating the economics. My biggest concern is that somehow the system isn't able to support broad-based programming. When you look at Oregon, we have 20 sports, 500 student-athletes. We are very proud of that. We're very proud of the fact that we can provide a free meal for every one of those 500 student-athletes. We're very proud that each one of our 500 student-athletes get all $5,980 from the Alston Award if they're academically eligible on the team. So I get concerned as we head down this path of deregulation and we focus on the revenue sports that somehow the system gets shifted that we're not able to go as deep in providing opportunities that we do today. Rob, uh, we always finish by asking our guests uh, uh, maybe a piece of advice that they received that they still think about. Um, And, you know, I know you've been, you know, you get your uh, degree at West Virginia and you worked at Kentucky, you've been at Oregon and overseen uh, a lot of growth at, at the University of Oregon. But what advice do you find yourself leaning on that you may have gotten years ago? You know, I was I was very fortunate to grow up in a college town, obviously, to be around college athletics and see the impact that it can have. So you know, I'm sure that's part of the reason that I was drawn to this industry. Uh, I think for me, it's, you know, to always understand that you are just standing in a spot uh, for a certain period of time. You know, University of Oregon is a wonderful, wonderful place. Um, I get the privilege of serving here for a short period of time and to make sure that you're keeping the focus on the health of the organization and the long-term success of the organization. You know, you'll get pulled in a lot of different ways, um, you know, but try to make uh, the decisions that are best for the organization long-term. And that's always been my goal. Rob, really, really appreciate you making time for us. Thanks for doing this. I think the stuff about the CFP in particular was, uh, is going to be gold for the listeners. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's a great process. Um, it works so well. It's, it's great for college football. I, it was a wonderful experience getting to serve. And when you just step back and think, you know, I got to serve with uh, Dr. Rice, you know, so a secretary of state and even had the opportunity to serve with her as a co-chair on one conference. Uh, and it, as I was chairing my first meeting, I'm sitting in the front of the room and, you know, I'm 54, so you have to think about this. I've got Ronnie Lott sitting to my left you know, one of the greatest players that, that, you know, ever. And on my right is Hall of Fame coach Frank Beamer. And for a kid that grew up in Morgantown, West Virginia, I got to see firsthand what Coach Beamer built in Blacksburg. So I'm just looking out into this group of 13 people going, holy cow, what an unbelievable opportunity I have here. Thanks so much, Rob. All the best. Good luck the rest of the way here the last, the next uh, nine months or so with everything, getting the transition in order. Really appreciate you joining us. 
Yep. Thank you, guys. Appreciate what you do. That was uh, that was fantastic. What did you th- what what stood out to you? I just think he was at his best in in kind of the middle part of the interview where he starts talking about what it's like to be on the committee and gives, you know, our listeners a chance to kind of drill down or, or, you know, a little bit of insight into the into what it is to be on that committee and how you how you think about things and, you know, the tools that are available. And, you know, it's not like it's, you know, a dozen people sitting on bar stools in a bar, you know, debating who should be in it. But. The fact that he was even talking about sort of those micro sections of the rankings, like, you know, not looking at one through 30, but looking at it, you know, much more through a keyhole. I, th- I think that was just absolute gold. I don't know. I was eating that up when he was talking about it. Oh, fascinating. And he's on, you know, he had two years as chair and then two years on the committee, four years. He is on the very short list of people, you know, three, top three or four uh in terms of insight and knowledge of the process, right? I mean, Bill Hancock, who is, you know, runs the committee, he's the, you know, the CFP executive director, uh, has been in, you know, every meeting over the 10 years or whatever it's been. But other than Hancock, Rob is on the incredibly short list of people who who know what's going on from multiple perspectives because he was the chair for two years. Uh, so it is certainly, you know, for our listeners and for fans out there, everything he said is is going to be valuable for the entire next month, regardless of what happens on a week-to-week basis with the, with the standings. What he said is applicable for every week for the rest of the the season through the release of the of the rankings that determine the playoff in early December. It was just fantastic. And I thought there was a little nugget in there about, you know, scheduling Oregon State and how tricky that is. And I think Oregon State has still got some bad feelings over what happened and Oregon leaving the conference. But, I, you know, I think that series continuing with a home-and-home home situation would be great for everybody. It'd be great for the state of Oregon. And then and then I and I just love kind of you know the it's interesting to me to hear your questions to him because you make me think about things when you ask him questions that I wouldn't have asked and you know and you and I are probably going back and forth with each other going oh yeah yeah that was good but also yeah. I I think look look he he didn't really dive into the Chip Kelly plan and I think that's an important thing that like you know athletic directors need to be thinking in those terms and I know they get caught up in the day to day but I. I would love to have a deeper conversation with Rob Mullins and other athletic directors about why a splintering away of football couldn't work. And I think there's going to be a little buyer's remorse here when some of the non-revenue generating sports start to travel in the ACC and the Big Ten in the Big 12 schedule. I think they're going to look up and go, wait a minute, you know, maybe there's more incentive. So maybe that's a discussion that happens 12 to 24 months from now, but it's a discussion that needs to happen. Well, yeah, and it certainly everybody's thinking about it, right? It, it's impossible not to, and everybody's thinking about, you know, what is going to happen when there's a revenue sharing deal with the the athletes? What is going to happen if this this latest antitrust suit uh, against the NCAA is successful and there's like a trillion dollars in damages that have to get paid out. Uh, you know, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it is a monumental amount of money uh, at stake here. Those, all those things, the NLRB case, all these things are going to have an exponentially uh, impactful uh, 
effect on how schools view college football and the other sports. And you know, it's going to change and change again uh, multiple times here over the next 10, 12 years. Everybody's thinking about it. Nobody knows what to do because they don't know what what's going to happen uh, in the short term with these all these legal challenges. I think it's fascinating. Uh, love that he came on the show. You know, he can't talk about the legal stuff that is ongoing, but um, I thought that was really valuable to our to our readers. And uh, for those of you who don't yet know, Pacific Seafood it has come aboard as the sponsor of Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast. And if you haven't discovered Pacific Seafood yet, go to PacificSeafood.com. By the way, we've got a promo code for you that will get you 12% off any online purchase. The promo code is Kanzano and Wilner, and you use the ampersand. That's that's what they call that symbol. I think we learned that Kanzano and Wilner right. is the uh, promo code. So that's really easy I knew to what remember. it was called. I didn't know how yeah. to spell it. <laughs> that's really easy to remember. Pacific Seafood, third generation, family owned business. It's based here in Oregon. They're on a mission to feed the world the healthiest protein on the planet. Our own family, we've used them. Wilner, I know you're excited to uh, try Pacific Seafood as well, but if you're in the uh, market for uh, high-end quality products for special occasions, holiday gifts, it's a great gift if you're looking for somebody for a birthday or anniversary. You're not going to find this stuff in grocery stores. You don't find the whole cooked jumbo Dungeness crab, colossal lobster tails, sushi-grade tuna, a whole bunch more from Pacific Seafood. So go to PacificSeafood.com. Locate the where to buy button and use the promo code at checkout. Use the promo code Kanzano and Wilner at checkout. That gets you 12% off your purchase. Uh, if you haven't already subscribed, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And we're going to be back later in the week with our picks. This is a special edition with Rob Mullins. Uh, thanks to Rob Mullins for joining us. Uh, thank you for listening. And I am out. Wilner, I'll give you the last words. Yeah, well, thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks again to Pacific Seafood for the support. And a uh, great way to uh, to help support the podcast is to dive in on the Pacific Seafood website. Kenzano and Wilner is the promo code. Thanks very much, everybody.